This episode is split into two parts, and this is part one, all about enablement. When I get up in the morning and I drink my coffee, I go through my LinkedIn and my Instagram. Like, I have totally have like addiction, just like everybody else does. Knowing that over 2 million women get pushed out of the workforce with COVID, I consider this a national crisis here. Like, it, it really is. Hello, and welcome to the Noble Marketing Ideacast. I'm Becky Holland. As well as being literally the most beautiful, understated yet confident woman, Irina Soriano is Vice President of Enablement for Seismic, Global Leaders in Enablement Software. She's also a recently published author and she spoke to me from her New York apartment. We talked about enablement and her career path, her role at Seismic, but as passionate as Irina is about her job, she is even more animated on the topic of the impact of social media on young women and their careers. So there is loads to cover. I'm going to shut up and play the interview. We started with enablement. Hi, Irina, and welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me today. Enablement is such a misunderstood word. So for those marketeers and other people that are listening today that don't really get it, how would you sum up enablement? What's, what, how do you describe what enablement actually is? Yeah, that's a good question. That always reminds me of conversations I have with my mother, who's uh, back in Germany. <laughs> she asks me that <laughs> once a week. Um, <laughs> so, you know, when I explain it to her and I had to keep it nice and simple, um, I would usually say that we are responsible for, you know, for all our customer facing employees and make sure that they have what they need at the right point in time to be successful. So in a nutshell, that's what I would say we do. Um, if I talk a little bit more business language here, if I wouldn't be speaking uh, um, to my mom, but to other professionals, um, for me, it's really four areas that we're covering. Um, and the first one is that we're responsible for building out scalable and ongoing enablement services, right? Which some of you might call your, your training program. So really the skill development component that we look after. Um, we also take care of any situational ad hoc enablement, right? So those are like your, your one-off sessions where we might have to certify our teams or whatnot. So that's the first bucket. The second bucket is process. So we, you know, design, implement, roll out, evaluate processes across the organization. Um, we take care of content. It doesn't necessarily mean that we develop all the content. We work with, uh, you know, collaboration with marketing. Um, but what that means is that we're activating a lot of the content. That means rather than just throwing it out there and say, hey, good luck using your new pitch deck. We make sure that people really know how to use it, what's the talk track, what some of the messaging they should use. Um, and then the last piece is that we take care of the enablement tech step. So we make sure that technology is not creating silos, but rather brings teams together so that people work with the same platforms and the same tools. So those are really the four key areas of, uh, of the things we take care of. Yes, there's a number of takeouts for that for me. There's an element of skills development, which is very much kind of might traditionally sit in HR or L&D. There's an element that in some organizations would sit in marketing. And then there's a whole bunch of stuff that, that sounds a little bit like sales 
training and I guess and, and what sales teams would do. So for, for an organization that doesn't have a function that's doing enablement, that might be listening to that, this thinking, well, we kind of do all that stuff already. Why, why do we need a specific function to do enablement? What would you, what would you say to them? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think if you if you drill it down, a lot of organizations start with classic sales enablement. That means everything that I just described, these efforts are focused on sales. So how I really see it, for me, enablement is mission critical to any organization. And the problem that you often have is when you, like you just said, right, it might happen that, hey, your learning and development program in people ops or in HR they do a little bit of training with sales, right? That's a training component. If you say, hey, marketing takes care of the content, that's often the case. But also, if you don't have one place that ties it all together, it's really tough to say, hey, how are we driving the organization forward? How have all of these efforts really impacted revenue growth? Because one of the things we do is that we track everything we do. Like we look at analytics, we look at correlation. So we're not revenue generators. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not a, I'm not a seller, right? I'm not generating revenue for the company, but the efforts that we put for, put forward because we sit and we are connected to the business allow us to look at different things that might eventually be impacting revenue growth, right? Where we can see clear correlations of a particular program we put out and how that might have changed behavior that ultimately led to higher win rates or whatever that might be, you know, higher sales velocity. Um, and I think if, if it's not done that way, those efforts are really tough to track. And there's also, it's really a lack of alignment because an L&D team has completely different objectives than a marketing team might have. And often those folks are not even talking to each other, right? So thinking about enablement as that connector in a company, like our job is to build an ecosystem within the organization. So we're connecting all of these different parties and all of these different business units in an organization. Would it be a distraction to the business if you tried to do enablement within marketing or within sales, for example? Do you think it has to be has to be separate? Um, no, I don't think so. I, you know, in a classic sense, and and that has been true for myself. If I look back at my career, enablers might sit in you know in the marketing department, or they might report up to the CMO. Um, you know, often we sit in the sales department, and you know we might roll up to the CRO or the the SVP of sales, or depending on how large your organization is. And sometimes we sit in operations as well, or we're our own department. Now, ideally, that's the best case scenario. But for a lot of companies, if they start enablement from scratch, that's not the way to go. You know, you might say, hey, let's tuck this into one of our other business functions and let it grow. I think the key here is that you have clear lines between, okay, what are our enablers doing and what's everybody else doing? So just defined areas of responsibilities, just so you're not stepping on each other's toes, right? This should be a collaboration and a partnership with everybody else that's around you, not a, hey, who's doing what and we're fighting over who's producing this piece of content, right? That can happen when the communication is not done well and when it's not you know, properly decided on what enablement 
should do. So whenever I started it from scratch, the first thing I do is make sure that everybody understands, hey, what's our purpose? What's our role? What are our responsibilities? And then communicate, communicate, communicate like across the entire org. And that has been very successful at Seismic, you know, that when I moved over um, 18 months ago from the Percolate side after the acquisition, that's also exactly how we've done it. We set the, the standard and the expectation um, early. So conversely, I'm, I'm guessing that enablement can go quite badly wrong. Do you have an example of, of enablement kind of done badly and, and what happened? It's kind of so funny that you say that. I probably could pick out my uh, 100 list of mistakes here. Um, <laughs> the thing with enablement is that, and I've said this many times before, there's no enablement school. Yeah, there's, there's nobody out there who has a master's or a bachelor's in enablement. It's just not going to happen. Um, the only thing I could think about, and in my earlier years, I was totally at fault uh, uh, on this as well, is when we turn into the fire department. So when this is not set up as a strategic part of the organization, which often it's not, and we just end up doing everything. There's no annual objectives. It doesn't feed into, you know, the company's vision and the company's mission. Like we just become the hey, give it to enablement. They're going to pick it up and take care of it. Like, I think when that's a, a place where people are at, that's a good time to, you know, either move on or try to make the right changes. But that's a that's a tough place to be. So if, it, if it's that, I would say, hmm, you're not moving in the right direction with it. So, so how, do you do, how do you set the right targets for enablement? Because you know, we all kind of know how you set sales targets, how you set business targets, and, and, and I guess to a certain extent, how you set marketing targets as well. Although sometimes I know those can be, can be vanity metrics. But you know, what's, the, what's the target for enablement? How do you measure it? Yeah, so I think there's a little more to it rather than saying, hey, we're going to do X and we want outcome Y, right? So when we start the year, we built what we call an enablement charter. For us, that's really, that's the North Star for the year, right? Where are we going to go? And that includes many different things, like what's our vision? And that also includes things like what are our three to four objectives for the year that we want to achieve? And those are aligned to the company objectives. So we want to make sure that we drive those forward, right? Um, and then what we do is every quarter, we build out key results each of those objectives, that's where we're tracking. Because our programs or our projects or our initiatives, those are going to vary with each quarter while our annual objectives remain the same. Other pieces in the in our charter is that we, we talk about our big rocks, right? What's the big stuff we want to tackle and change for the coming year? Um, our audience, who are we serving? Who are we supporting? So all of these things, rather than, hey, we just got this one target and here's the number we have to fit, uh, um, we have to hit. These are all pieces that fit into our charter. So, you know, it's usually like a day and a half, two day effort at the beginning of the year when we get together and build all of that out as a team. Um, so it goes a little bit further than just having, hey, a number we want to hit. Like there's, there's different ones depending on what the priorities are for the year.
you're the head of enablement for a company that literally sells enablement. So does that put more pressure on you to to do this really, really well? Totally. Absolutely. Um, is Somebody uh, said that to me like a, a few weeks or a few months back. I don't, I don't recall. Um, but it kind of it kind of stuck with me. And he's like, it's almost like you're the, the it's like the shrink for a therapist. Yeah. I'm like, well kind of interesting. Um, I don't necessarily see it that way, but how I do see it is that we have a certain responsibility, like me and my team. So we work in an organization that's the leading, you know, sales and marketing enablement platform in the market. So if we're not doing a good job enabling our people internally, like, what are we doing? Yeah, You know, that for me is really the question. And this also comes with we need to talk about what we're doing, right? We put a lot of pride into um, being super creative with some of the the efforts we put out there, right? And I want to make sure that all these efforts that we do, we go and talk about it so other people have the opportunity to learn from it, right? And we have a very mixed team. We have more junior people. We have more experienced folks. Um, but everybody knows they carry the responsibility to pass things forward. And that doesn't mean, hey, we know it all and we do it best. Absolutely not. Like I talk to people all the time and I go, hey, that's amazing. I'm going to steal that. Um, And we want to make sure we pass that forward. So we're very vocal about what we do. Um, And yeah, it's, it's totally a different, I wouldn't say a different stress level, but I, you know, I take this responsibility seriously. So how do you how do you make sure that you stay ahead of the curve? Is this all about that the kind of listening piece and the insights that go into it, or is it about you know what you can do with the tech? How do you, how do you go about making sure that you you are leading the way? For me, quite frankly, it's really being part of the conversation, and that's through you know social media channels, like connecting with people, giving your input. Um, the field of enablement has become so active and people are talking about this so much like there's so many great things you can take away just from connecting with people and I always make the time to you know just hop on a call and do a half hour virtual coffee with another enablement person so we can exchange some thought and I can see hey how are you doing things and give back how are we doing things um, you know and it's like here's this template we're using let me send it to you it's like the usual uh, um, kind of exchange but I think that's important. This community is so special and people are so giving. Um, if you're not making use of it and put in your contribution, then, you know, I think that's that's a huge miss because, like I said, there's no one place to learn from. We have to learn from each other and we hold the responsibility to, you know, teach the next generation of enablers that are stepping into these jobs right now. So, It's really, in the end, it's all about the community. Yeah, so to me, enablement feels like a really personal thing. Like what enables you you know, to do your job, whether you're, whether that's about, you know, a salesperson that's looking for some content to help enable to move a, a project along or whether it's just about kind of listening and understanding what are the things that are going to enable to, to kind of use the word of the day, people to do the next thing. But that, that that's quite hard, right? To do enablement, which feels very personal, but to do it at scale, how is, the, is there a magic to that? How do, you, how do you make stuff feel that it's personal and relevant, but still do it at scale? 
you know what? I wish there was, I had like a magic wand and make sure everything, everybody loves everything we do. <laughs> That's not the case, right? We roll stuff out and, and there's a handful of folks say, I don't need this right now. And we go, well, but most of the people do. So it's a little bit of the, how can we impact the masses, especially when we talk about scaling things, right? So let's use a simple example. When we onboard somebody, right? And we onboard a customer success person down in Australia, they should be going through the same experience. Now, is this exactly what that particular person needs? No, it might be 80 or 85%. But for us, that allows us to maintain that standard and really drive, and that's the key word here for me, is consistency. We have to drive consistency that allows us to scale. And yeah, unfortunately, that means we're not always making everybody happy totally. Um, we spend a lot of time doing one-off coachings across our organization. And that's really one-on-one -on -one stuff where we come in and we spend a couple of hours with folks. And that's when they really getting personally what they want to work on. So I think having that mix allows us to balance this out a little bit. that you're in do you get to influence what happens in terms of kind of the product development side of stuff at, at, at seismic because surely if you're doing enablement and you know what you need do you do you get access to those guys and say well actually you know we need the functionality to do this we need we need that uh, and get to kind of shape the product as you go yeah absolutely um i mean like i said our collaboration in general across the org and that definitely includes our product team um is is really tight right and i think um there's two pieces to that one that us as enablers we're kind of our internal customer right so we have the opportunity to give a lot of input and share our opinion which i think is fantastic right because a lot of our sellers sell to people like myself um and people that work on my team so having that opportunity i think is um is huge um but also the other piece for us is that you know we try to open up channels between different departments and you know if we get feedback from sales we take that and we pass on that feedback right and often this also goes to our product team so again in the end it comes down to the partnership and the collaboration um and I think, you know, I love that opportunity to be able to give input and really say, hey, for me as a user, because we obviously use our own product, <laughs> right, extensively, yeah. like I wouldn't live without it. Like it's it's the baseline of our enablement tech stack. Um, so being able to impact it and give input is is great. So what's the latest kind of cool thing that you can do with your tech that you influence? You know, I really want the capability to do this. And then they made it. What's your favorite tool at the moment? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's probably like a couple of things. Um, so interactive content is, um, is something that we had launched last year, which is it, it's an, literally what it says. It's an interactive way to display your content like we using this a lot as an enablement team um i've been a huge fan of that when when we launched that and we totally have an internal 
use case for us as well. Although as an enablement team, we're not customer facing, but we use this for our own, own content as well. Um, and then the the very recent exciting thing that happened um, was the the Grapevine Six acquisition um, and the the launch of Live Social, which is really a social tool with you know, virtual selling being on the rise as it is right now. And, you know, that's that's obviously due to the pandemic, but I think the, the pandemic just sped things up. It would have happened anyways at one point in time. Um, this really allows, you know, sellers and folks across the organization to build their brand um, and be out there and provide value to, you know, customers and potential buyers through sharing content on social media that's meaningful and that's, that is supporting really the entire customer lifecycle and the value that they provide. So I think those are the, the two most recent things and also two things that I'm personally super excited about. So that's it for part one of the Irene Astoriano interview. The second part will be out next week um, and Irina's book is out now. So if you want a sneak preview, you can download the book in all the usual places. But otherwise, I will be here again next week. All right, take care. Bye. Thank you for downloading this episode of the Noble Marketing Idea Cast. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to the show wherever you're listening right now. A new show will pop up in your feed every few weeks. The Noble Marketing Idea Cast is brought to you by BHMP. We're creative venture marketers helping clients with purpose transform their business results and not their Instaglow. Find out more about what we do and how we can help you visit our website at bhnp.com or follow us on LinkedIn. Links are in the podcast description. Our producer is the talented Chris Attaway. Till next time, I'm Becky Holland. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>